there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Well, hello. Welcome again to Your Politics, RTE's weekly political podcast from Leinster House. Sandra Harley, Mary Regan and Tommy Meskell from our political staff uh, join me today. Uh, I'm Anya Lawler. We're here in our Leinster House studio, but we're going straight to our correspondent, Paul Cunningham, who's with the Thonishta in Israel and yesterday in Egypt. And Paul, the story, it's the story around the world, but it's also a huge story in Irish politics at the moment. The developments in Gaza, Irish citizens find the most of them finally making their way out uh, over the past two days. Uh, Fill us in on the latest developments. Well, yesterday, um, and that would have been, gosh, I'm even getting confused myself on the days, um, we had the Tónishta arriving into Cairo um, uh, it was a trip which had been arranged at short notice, you know, sort of 48 hours. And within a very short space of time, it turned out that there was going to be some significant development. That was that 23 Irish citizens were going to be able to cross the border from Gaza through the Rafa crossing and travel into Egypt. Once they arrived, they were going to be um, met by consular staff from the Irish embassy. They were going to be brought placed on buses and brought to Cairo where their needs were going to be assessed and they're going to be f- flown home. Today, we've had another significant development, and that is a commitment from the Israeli authorities that the vast majority of Irish uh, people who are still in Gaza will be out within three days, that is, um, by the coming Sunday. Um, There have been some delays in getting people out today for reasons which haven't been fully explained, but nonetheless, that's quite a strong commitment. So it seems that debacle in which you've had 40 people who are either Irish citizens or dual citizens caught up in the horrors of Gaza, um, that looks as if it's going to be resolved. We do know that there's some people who are still stuck in the north of the um, enclave who are finding it very difficult to travel south um, to the Rafa crossing because, as we know, um, Israeli airstrikes are continuing and because the siege um, by Israel is continuing. So that's still a difficulty, but it seems that most are going to be out by the weekend, which clearly is good news. And even today, just a sign of the times, the convoy had to be stopped at one stage that the Thonishta was travelling in? Yes, he was travelling from um, some communities in southern Israel, very close to Gaza, about two or three kilometres away. And he was travelling back up to Jerusalem. His intention was to cross over into the West Bank, where he was due to meet some of the um, senior politicians from the Palestinian Authority. Along the road, there was uh, an air raid, and protocol dictates what happens. So because um, the Thonish, though, was in an armoured car, the car just pulled in and stopped. Um, the other delegation were in sort of more ordinary buses and they had to um, exit the vehicle and take cover. And so they were on the ground for around um, five minutes. Um, the rocket was probably engaged, we don't know, probably engaged by um, the Israelis activating the US Iron Dome shield, which is basically a counter-missile which will take out the rocket. And once it was deemed to be safe, Mr Martin was back on the road and travelling back up to Jerusalem again. Um, and he had some interesting encounters, didn't he, on that trip to the south? He did. He met the mayor of Sidrot, and that is a, a small town which um, uh, 45 people were killed on October 7th when um, Hamas uh, took over the town. And they didn't just take over the town and kill people on the streets. They were, um, took over the police station and they were dug in so... Um, 
so so well, I guess. They defended the, the building that eventually um, the Israeli Air Force called in airstrikes. Um, and the mayor uh, was talking about his own children, about three of them, about how his 25-year-old daughter is still completely convulsed by what happened on October the 7th and how she still is paralysed with fear on account of any time that she hears an air raid siren. And he asked the Taunishta, are you with us in a very direct way? Because he said, in his view, and maybe given what happened mm-hmm. to him, that it explains it, in his view, that the uh, military strategy by Israel is right, that the only thing they can do is to continue to um, destroy Hamas, and therefore any suggestion of a ceasefire um, is getting in the way of that objective and is simply wrong. And it was interesting to see, it was a, a narrow room, uh, I'd say there was probably 20 people in it, one table, and um, the mayor was pointed, but speaking calmly and slowly and then there was a pause and then the Thonishta um, had to reply and he replied about what Ireland's position was and the fact that um, a ceasefire in Ireland's view is required because the army um, of Israel's response is not proportionate and the civilian death toll is so high and the number of children who are dying is unconscionable and that there needs to be some form of ceasefire so that humanitarian supplies can be brought in. So he was coming face to face with, in many ways, what Israelis um, uh, feel is this gap, a gap between what they feel and what the international community is saying. And it was quite a, a pointed meeting. And of course, it's impossible for reporters like yourself to go into Gaza at the moment. But the images that have been emerging as the IDF have uh, tightened their grip uh, on northern Gaza and moved to take control, in particular, of Al-Shifa Hospital, um, they have horrified people around the world, haven't they? Um, It has been. And as you say, we're learning this from either uh, Gazans who are journalists and reporting, have been reporting for a number of weeks. There's also been some um, uh, media outlets like Fox News, which has been taken in by the Israeli Defence Forces to um, Mashifa Hospital, um, the biggest hospital in, in the Gaza Strip. And I, I think to a certain extent we've found the limits of the lexicon of the English language to be able to describe the types of conditions that uh, people have been experiencing there, continue to experience. And now that the Israelis... Um, are taking over the actual hospital, this throws up the huge dilemma as to what is to happen, not just to the patients in there, um, who doctors are saying are dying as a result of not having fuel to be able to run the hospital, but also an awful lot of um, civilians who've taken refuge inside the hospital to try and escape the 400 um, airstrikes which happen every day from the Israeli Air Force. So it is, is a real dilemma, and yet you've had a statement today from the IDF which was that they were going to push further south. They were telling other towns and cities within the Gaza Strip that they were going to uh, try and enter them as well. And it just sort of reinforced a message which Michal Martin said today, which was that in his discussions with Israeli politicians, he found that there wasn't any um, focus on a ceasefire. If anything, what he found was a hardened view that they needed to continue to prosecute the war the way they believe it needed to be done. So while so many people here in Ireland will be glad about the Irish citizens who are managing to escape that nightmare, the fact is more than two million people are left behind. 
And isn't that the truth? Um, it is something to be celebrated that Irish citizens are able to escape and maybe forward to them. Efforts are going on to try and get other people, other foreign passport uh, holders out. And yet, as you say, there's 2.3 million people living in Gaza. They have no opportunity of escaping. There are no outlets from them for them. Um, the border is sealed in Israel. Um, on the Egyptian side, they're not being allowed to um, leave. So instead, they're going to stay there in a tiny place and uh, that coastal um, little inlet, which is being attacked day after day after day. Um, and it is one of the sort of chastening things, I think, which has happened from the Irish government's position, which is that while they are hardening their line and how they're articulating the need for a, um, a ceasefire, how they met the Palestinian Authority Prime Minister and Foreign Minister, and they were in agreement as to what needed to be done, when it came to talking to the Israeli politicians, they were fixed in the view that they um, needed to do this and they were going to continue to do this. And it didn't matter when the Irish authorities were talking about a proportional response. And that's an mm -hmm. important word because it's tied into international humanitarian law. If something isn't proportionate, then it's breaking international law. And yet the Israelis were saying, this is something we need to do and we're going to do it. And finally, Paul, and this is the question we'll be discussing um, with the others here in a moment because it's been the huge debate here with the uh, Social Democrats motion and the Sinn Féin motion and the government counter motion. But Micheál Martin in this trip uh, this week, he's underlining, isn't he, what his message has been about this and what the government's message has been, which is that diplomacy matters more than ever in a time of war. Yes, in relation to the Social Democrats and indeed Sinn Féin, uh, both parties talked about the need for Israel to be referred to the ICC. And when it came to that, the International Criminal Court, the Irish government was effectively saying, well, the ICC is already investigating the matter, so there's no need for a referral. But when it came to the issue of um, deciding that the Israel's ambassador to Ireland should be sent home, then there was a fundamental difference, a gulf between the sides. And Micheál Martin was making the argument today that if you're talking about Emily Hand, that Irish-Israeli girl who's eight years old, who is a hostage being held by Hamas inside Gaza as we speak, um, that you need to use every diplomatic lever to try and find out, is she okay? Can you get the International Red Cross into Seer? And ultimately, if there is a first tranche of releases of hostages, that she be one of them. Equally, he was saying, when it comes to trying to ensure that those Irish citizens, those passport holders, can exit through the Rafa crossing once again, you need to have a diplomatic offensive. And it's like axiomatic, night follows day. If you kick out the Irish uh, or the Israeli ambassador to Ireland, the next day, the Irish ambassador to Israel will go along with all of the diplomatic staff. You will have cut diplomatic relations and you will have limited your ability to be able to get the goal that you say you want to get to. Now, obviously, from um, Social Democrats' point of view, they say you need to make a stand given what's taking place in Gaza, that you can't just allow to pretend it's not happening. And, and that's a very forceful argument. But from what Micheál Martin was saying, it's practical and there's practical dilemmas for um, Irish citizens and the Irish government needs to be aware of that. All right, Paul, thank you uh, for joining us uh, with that. Our correspondent, Paul Cunningham, there. And it was really interesting, wasn't it, watching the contrast this week between what we've seen happening in Gaza and and the debate that's going on in the Doyle. Uh, and there's no doubt there was a lot of public support for those op opposition motions and a lot of TDs, you know, were, saw that and heard that in their inboxes, didn't they? Yeah, it's no surprise that what's going on in Gaza has eclipsed all other doll business this week. 
And I think what's notable today is that it was still back on the agenda, top of the agenda at Leaders' Questions, really dominating business again, despite the fact that the government comfortably defeated both those dull motions last night. But I agree with you, I don't think it will have gone unnoticed by the government that there was quite a sizable crowd outside Leinster House last night. There's another protest due this weekend because they need to win the argument over the opposition that the diplomatic route is the right one. They also need to win the argument with the public. But the opposition are not going to let up any pressure on this. And it has been something of a coup, if you could say that, that for the government this week, that Micheál Martin has been out in the Middle East at exactly the time when these Irish passport holders have been able to leave Gaza. That has bolstered their argument, but the government is going to have to continue making that argument the whole time. And what we have seen as well on the government side this week is a hardening of the language, haven't we? And as as they've come under pressure over this referral to the International Criminal Court or non-referral uh, in this case, um, certainly a, a change in tone, wasn't there, in some of what Simon Harris had to say? Yeah, and um, the tarnish the Muir Martin saying at the start of the week that the EU needs to go further in calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. And then we had the Taoiseach Leah Bradker yesterday saying the EU needs to take a more active role beyond this current conflict in pushing for the two-state solution. He was saying that it has to take a more active role in the sense of when it comes to trade with Israel and also when it comes to aid for the Palestinian side, that the EU must be more active beyond this. So the government, as it would see it at this point, I think the term was used, it is sort of centering um, the EU position on this, you know, towards one that, you know, isn't <clears throat> as, um, let's say, sided with Israel yeah. as it might have been at the start. And uh, that chimes, I guess, a little bit with what is happening in, in the in the US as well. And Biden's tone on this has been changing somewhat too, you know. Yeah. But again, you know, p- people who are campaigning for the opposition uh, on this at the moment, um, they're comparing and contrasting with Ukraine. And that there's a double standard at play here. And that's one of the things they one of the points they've been making very strongly. Richard Boyd Barris made that point in the Dáil today. In fact, he was asking at what level does this have to get to before the government does heed the opposition's calls uh, and expels the Israeli ambassador uh, and joins in efforts to the ICC is already investigating this, but, but I suppose emphasise uh, the need for Israel uh, to be investigated. As Sandra was saying, it's it's just interesting that this is in many ways a foreign story, but it's, it is dominating domestic politics. We saw over a thousand people outside Leinster House last night uh, protesting, but also TDs are saying too that they're getting a huge volume of emails actually on this, a, a huge level of correspondence uh, showing that this is something that really has, has cut through with the public uh, and they're going to their TDs uh, looking for action on it. So this debate about what, you know, what Ireland should be doing and what the EU should be doing, and we've, we've been talking in previous podcasts about the divisions within the EU uh, that have been clear for all to see on this, uh, it, it's, it's not going away. And from what Paul was saying, far from ceasefires, it, it looks as if this may be stepped up. And I mean, there's talk now about, you know, the, the fuel for the sewage pumps isn't working, that there's raw sewage running in the streets of some parts of Gaza. Again, there's fog of war. We we don't know. What we do know, as Paul was saying, is there are journalists there who are working with, you know, their own lives on the line, their own families' lives on the line uh, to report what's going on. And if only a fraction of what we're seeing is the truth, it's just 
Yeah, it's a dire situation and reports today that Israel is looking to move further into the south. Apparently reports of a leaflet drop in Khan Yunus. So uh, as you say, that the, the conflict over there is accelerating. Yeah. Israel wants to stamp out Hamas. I think on the domestic front, it's been interesting to watch almost a jockeying of position in the opposition to see who, who can go the furthest on this. We've had people before profit for a long time, really far out in, in supporting Palestine. But Sinn Féin has been in kind of a bind here, I think, in terms of where it, it is ex- exactly stands on this. They weren't initially calling for the expulsion of the ambassador. Exactly, yeah. and that only happened at the end of, uh, I think, last week or the week before. There's also, I heard this week, that Sinn Féin initially told the business committee on Thursday that its motion, its dull motion for this week would be on climate action. Then so the Social Democrats told the committee that it would be... Uh, tabling this motion, calling for tougher sanctions against Israel. And then Sinn Féin changed its mind on Friday. So a sort of tactical play by the Social Democrats almost yeah. smoking out Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin worried about leaving, being left, I think, a bit behind some of the other opposition parties in its position here. Um, we'll move on at this point. It, it almost seems trivial, to, doesn't it, to talk about anything else in comparison with this and, you know, the scale of what... Uh, you're talking about. But um, in terms of domestic stories, I suppose uh, the RTE bailout has been one of the stories of the week. And uh, then questions not just about what's happening in the short term. We've seen RTE's 10 point plan as well, uh, but also questions about what's happening in the medium to long term. The politics of um, John Downing and the Independent called it the teletax. Um, but the broadcasting charge or the household charge um and there, there, there is a bit of political nervousness about this, isn't there? And the possibility of an unpopular tax like the water charges in an election season all over again. Yeah, <laughs> who time. wants to take that poison chalice? <laughs> I mean, time is of the essence because Catherine Martin, the media minister, has said a number of times that she wants this dealt with in the lifetime of this government. And she's been very clear, and so has uh, the Tarnished about this as well, hasn't? Haven't they? Absolutely, yeah. but I mean, how quickly can it be dealt with? You know, we look back at the future of media commission rejected the government rejected its recommendation mm-hmm. to directly fund RT from exchequer funding previous to that the Oireachtas media committee had done up its own report uh, recommending that it be collected by revenue instead of on post um, and yet still here we are and I think that whole question as to whether it should be uh, dealt with out of general taxation is just a a nettle that the government has been reluctant to grasp, but possibly now will have to as possibly a least worst option on the table, you know. The the fear with this is that it turns into that water charge issue. And I've heard one uh, cabinet minister making the point that the longer RTE dominates the headlines uh, and is seen to be an organisation in difficulty, the harder it will be for the government to sell whatever that new charge may be. Uh, And unfortunately, with all the several reviews underway at the moment and the difficulties the organisation is facing in terms of finance and so on, it seems like RT probably will be in the headlines Mm -hmm. for, for a good few more months to come. And it will require legislative change, I think, which is going to be difficult to get done in the lifetime of the government because Catherine Martin isn't going to bring forward any proposals until after the two reports, the government commissioned reports, come back, we're told, in February. They could be delayed, you don't know. Then you have to get agreement in government on what to do. There's certainly a perception that Catherine Martin favours the exchequer funding model, but we've heard very strong comments from people like Pascal Donoghue, Michael McGrath, uh, the Thonish, all saying that they want this revenue stream Mm -hmm. coming from the public, the public arm 
are still paying Pascal Dunn, who said this week, and you don't want to, he doesn't want to let that revenue go. So it's going to be difficult to get agreement. And the other side of it is that Catherine Martin called for the opposition to play its part in coming together and supporting proposals. But Sinn Féin is very clear it wants um, public service broadcasting to be funded from the Exchequer. So if the government does go for some sort of media charge model, it's not going to be supported. Ryan Tuberty's got a new job, though. And he's going to be back on Irish Airways. So there you go. Um, let's talk about, actually, yes, let's talk about what's been happening in London this week. Uh, it's certainly been an eventful week, hasn't it? Who, whoever thought they'd see David Cameron walking back into number 10? I thought the reaction from Sky News <laughs> when they were watching the live footage uh, and the, the Range Rover pulls up uh, and who gets out? David Cameron, yeah. Um, a good way, I suppose, for the Prime Minister, though, to get the upper hand on on what could potentially have been a problem for him, that being Suella Braverman, the former Home Secretary. Uh, there was uh, a sense that she almost wanted to be sacked so that she could kind of start her own leadership bid. Uh, but he seemed to, to steal the headlines, making that move to appoint David Cameron. I just wonder, I suppose, is it enough to, to restore the fortunes of the Conservative Party? That general election will be coming up soon as well. And is certainly the ideological divide. I mean, Suella Braverman, she didn't get sacked last week and um, those Pal- Palestinian marches went ahead. But actually, what was really, really disturbing, wasn't it, to see was those, right, those uh, nationalist protesters who came out uh, and surrounded the cenotaph and, very, you know, fairly tough policing challenge for the Met uh, that they seem to have handled fairly calmly but it, certainly there's a really clear isn't there in the Suella Braverman um, retire, uh, resignation letter and this row now about the boats and the Supreme Court judgment a really clear kind of culture war divide in the Tory party and you'd wonder how long they can survive it. Yeah, they seem to be broken into factions and there's different groupings within there. It does appear that by bringing back David Cameron, Rishi Sunak is trying to reposition the party and reclaim the centre ground. And some of the analysis there is that they're giving up on those red wall seats that they gained. Except he was reinventing himself and everything else after the Tories been in power for so long, about two weeks ago. But there you go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, he was talking about enormous change and then he brings back a man who who led the Conservative Party for so long. Uh, Nobody could have predicted it. It was a total shock this week, but it's been another whirlwind in British politics. We can only just sit here and watch. Yeah, and for Keir Starmer too, the Labour leader, it wasn't exactly a peaceful week um, that vote um, on the ceasefire. It just shows the ripples of what's happening in Gaza, you know, washing up on the shores of Westminster, uh, you know, affecting politics globally. And uh, yeah, he lost, I think it was up to 10 of the, you know, shadow cabinet in this vote that took place calling for a ceasefire. Of course, Chris Starmer, the Labour leader, is sticking to that language of causing for a pause or calling for a pause rather than a ceasefire. Uh, But Manny and his party not happy with that. And I I suppose we'll just have to wait and see whether he can limit the limit the uh, the damage um, from that. And it appears at this stage that he has been able to do that. You know, I mean, it's not, you know, the, the, the... the, uh, but anyhow, with with many of his shadow cabinet either resigning or, ha- you know, before they were sacked over last night's vote. Uh, and let's finish up uh, back at home, Tommy. Uh, an Ordesh and not an Ordesh. <laughs> last week we had the Sinn Féin Ordesh, uh, which was well attended. Those organising it said that there was up to, to 2,000 people in attendance. Uh, and we saw Mary Lou MacDonald giving her speech, focusing on, on the theme of home. Uh, and indicating during that Ardesh last week that actually housing will be their number one priority if they do get into government. I thought that was interesting. Um, 
And also as well, we saw focus, on, unfortunately, on the, on the situation in, in Gaza. Um, we saw the Palestinian ambassador uh, address delegates and got a, a standing ovation. Next week, it's the turn of Fine Gael, uh, But as you said, it will not be in Ordesh. It will be a party conference. I think the so thinking, there won't be a televised leader's speech or anything like that. The Ordesh is in the spring. Is that right? That's correct. And I think the thinking behind that is that they want to have an Ordesh, a bigger one in April, and that will make a, a a sort of big impression, I suppose, ahead of the the elections. I suppose one of the difficulties coming into this conference is that uh, we have seen uh, yet more senior Fine Gael politicians announce that they will not be contesting uh, the next elections. Uh, and yesterday we heard that Deirdre Clune, MEP, will not be contesting uh, the European elections. And before that, we heard that Francis Fitzgerald will not be contesting the, the Dublin election. That is a problem for the party. Those kind of questions will be asked over the weekend. How is Fine Gael going to get over that hurdle? Uh, several names. So you're saying that's a problem for the party. There are ambitious young hearts in Fine Gael beating well, away who'd be rocking up uh, to Manute this weekend thinking that's a huge opportunity for them. Yes. Another way of looking at it, some might say that actually in terms of um, achieving gender quotas, it's actually a good thing too. Uh, it'll give them a chance to maybe feel, field more female candidates. Uh, so yeah, th they'll say that it's an opportunity but being an incumbent is is a good position to be in as well. You have name recognition. I mean, it is really important. Uh, but of course, this yeah. weekend they'll try and, and spin it as, as a positive that they're they're uh, bringing in a new generation. There's been a real sense. Um, I wasn't down in Cork at, at the Greens conference, but just looking at that from a difference and certainly uh, from Fianna Fáil, from Sinn Féin, it'd be interesting to see if it's the same at Fine Gael. A real sense of everyone being election ready. Nearly, they're nearly so ready. You kind of wonder how long can they hold back? Will the locals and the Europeans be enough for all this well, preparation? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I think following on from budget night, at least people were uh, on a footing really for the possibility of an election at least happening from next yeah. spring onwards. And I think everyone's working towards that possibility, even though the parties in government particularly, you know, might kind of say they, want, you know, the Greens were, were no, sure. There's a the real sense that the leaders want to run the term, yeah. I, although obviously that's something they, you know, nobody knows. But 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 I'd say there'd be a lot of TDs making visits to the poster makers over Christmas somehow. Yeah, and the parties want to have the candidates in place. That's the most yeah. important thing as well, getting the candidate selection done and trying to reach those gender quotas, which for the general election are going to be pretty onerous uh, for a lot of the parties. You'd imagine the, the local elections and the European elections, whatever way they go for the various parties, that could have a big impact on when backbenchers feel the next election, when the timing is right. Uh, whatever way that goes, that could uh, have an, a big impact. OK, all to come. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. And we will be with you again next Thursday. Till then, from all of us, goodbye. Thank you.